Thank you for visiting Metabolism 123, the podcast originating from the website metabolism.com. Metabolism, the bodily process of making and utilizing energy, affects every aspect of your physical well-being. When metabolism malfunctions, the results are common afflictions such as diabetes, thyroid disorders, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or simply being overweight. The host of Metabolism 123, Dr. Gary Pepper, an endocrinologist with 40 years of experience, along with invited guest experts, provide practical insights and knowledge you can use to improve energy, weight, or any troublesome aspects of your metabolic life. Thanks again for choosing Metabolism 123 and Metabolism.com as your information source. Welcome back um, to our podcast, Trouble in Paradise, discussion of the obesity pandemic. Joining me again today will be my brother, Robert Pepper, who is also another Dr. Pepper, PhD. And Rob has been a longtime uh, psychotherapist and a lifelong brother. And he's going to be joining me uh, in our discussion. And Rob has been a therapist for 40 years and has accumulated an enormous amount of experience helping people deal with their emotional issues. And if I'm correct, uh, being overweight or the weight issue is likely to be a central theme for many of these people. So today, uh, I would uh, like to focus on how did we get here in terms of how do people become overweight and what are the emotional issues that they confront at that time? So welcome back, Rob. Thanks for joining me on another Sunday therapy session. Oh, it's my pleasure, bro. Yep. So I believe uh, calling this a pandemic is more appropriate than the obesity epidemic because uh, obesity or overweight is affecting people all over the world just the way the coronavirus has been. And if you can help us out today uh, examining the emotional factors that are the driving force behind this common problem. Um, first off, can you uh, tell us from, from your experience just how big a issue is weight in uh, your therapy sessions? I have a general practice, and I do groups and uh, work with individuals and families and couples. So... My experience is not limited, but I can say that everybody has some relationship, emotional relationship to their body image, how much they think they need to lose weight or don't need to lose weight or just find the way they are. One thing comes to mind that I start off with is that uh, there have been times when people who are obviously uh, grossly overweight have come to me, and yet when they present the problem, when I ask them how I can help them, they don't mention weight. They'll mention relationship problems. They'll mention professional work problems, but rarely do they do they mention weight. And so that always sets off a, a red flag for me because it's clear that the way that they are managing their life around this issue is in deep denial. And I can't say that to somebody, obviously, when I first meet them. So how do, you, uh, how do you segue into it when, when the time comes? Often, when I ask them how I can help, they'll go into their problem. And somewhere within the first session or two, 
I asked them, what, in the middle of talking about whatever issue they have, I, I'll ask them, um, are you happy with your weight? And often that is met with denial, too, that the, there's no problem, that's not the issue, and they back off. So, so your first hurdle is just getting them to say that they're unhappy with how heavy they are. Well, people come in for a specific problem, so I, I take that seriously. What is it that they need help with? And if they don't tell me about their weight right away, I, like I said, I will mention, are you happy with it? And wait to see what happens. And every once in a while, I may bring it up again. Um, but my focus is on what they would like to accomplish. I should say that the, the issue of weight in the people that I've met that are seriously overweight is a very difficult problem to treat because I make the assumption when I work with adults that they must be getting something out of the situation just the way it is, even if they're, they say they're unhappy with it. I believe there's two levels, at least two levels of the mind, the conscious and unconscious. People have, they have wants and needs that are healthy needs, and they have wants and needs that aren't. And often they're not aware of the unhealthy needs. And so, as Freud said, the goal of therapy is to make the unconscious conscious. But with weight issues, it, it tends, in my experience, tends to be more of a stubborn problem because obviously people can live without drugs and alcohol, can't live without food. So everybody has a relationship to their body image, to food, and that there's an investment in that image, whether it's accurate or distorted. And it takes a while for people to get around to that. And even when they do, it's very difficult for them to make any lasting changes in their behavior, despite the fact that they know that what they're doing is obviously not in their best interest and may be related to some of the problems they have and eventually may be related to other physical and uh, emotional problems. Okay, so um, what I'm hearing then is uh, after a period of denial uh, and they finally uh, maybe feel comfortable enough to open up a little bit about it, so once they start talking about the fact that they have an issue with their being overweight, what what happens next? Well, it depends on uh, on a number of different factors. One of one of the things I'll ask them is, is it okay if we talk about it? And then depending on what they say, it could take several directions. I mean, if someone says no, I'm not really interested in talking about my weight. I'll say to them, okay, so let's talk about why you don't want to talk about it. What's the issue about talking about your weight? If they're willing to talk about their weight, I'll want to know if they've had a consultation with a medical physician, uh, and what does your doctor say? Have you determined whether the issue is of a uh, organic one, or are there markers, or are there, are there factors in your physiology that determine metabolism, or whatever issues have to do with the physical side of it? That mm -hmm. I want to rule out organicity before we talk about the other side. Okay, let's say, you know, the average person uh, doesn't have any medical underlying condition. Then what? Mm -hmm. I'll ask them, well, what does food mean to you? And, uh, you know, there are a variety of re uh, things that people say. One of them has to do with comfort, obviously. They'll talk about feeling under stress and going for something to eat. Like some people will reach for a cigarette or for a drink when they're under stress. 
some people go to food and I'll, I'll ask about, well, what's, what's your food of choice? And is it sweet? And do you go for salty? Do you go for crunchy? What is it about that food that you crave? And what comes to mind when you think about it? Why do you, what do you get out of crunchy food or what do you get out of something that's... Can you give any examples? Like, what does a person get out of crunchy food? Well, in some cases, it's, it's aggression. Some people have to bite on something when they're angry. It's uh, their reaction to feeling either um, verbally attacked or abused or emotionally abused or even physically abused. They, they need to feel some way of letting out that tension and they do it through food, right. like and pretzels. crunchy food. Yeah, pretzels. Crunchy food, mm-hmm. like pretzels. They crave the salt, and that. some people crave, as as you know, you know, sweet things, ice cream, chocolate, whatever it is that. Uh, yeah, from a medical point of view, you know, sugar is is fuel, and some people, uh, I guess, can detect the amount of fuel in the food better than others. And it gives a, a stronger uh, reward in the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, just listening to what you're saying, there are people who may want to feel more fueled up, you might say, by eating sweets. And then maybe there's maybe. people who uh, want to get rid of some aggression and want to crunch down on something. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a cliche that... Uh like any cliche, it has a ring of truth to it. Uh, people tell me that uh, they eat their feelings, that they want to stop a feeling by going into action. And food is often one way of doing it, just like I said before, alcohol, cigarettes or so. I, Would you know, say I, that I know it, people, uh, it diverts them from their feelings? Right. It leads it To take an action stops a feeling. Mm-hmm. I say to people who smoke, when you light a cigarette, you extinguish a feeling. Some people do the same thing with food. They don't want to have it. There's an objection to having a a difficult feeling, a feeling that makes them feel anxious or frightened or needy or whatever it is. There's so many different (laughs) factors that go into it, but it's usually an avoidance of something. Some of it is learned. talked about that before. People's relationship with food begins at the very beginning of life. You know as well as I do that uh, family of origin, people pick up behaviors that they see from their family. I think you had once said that um, that kids are taught uh, not to recognize the feeling of hunger when they eat as well. Well, I said that, yeah, and I was thinking of situations where eating becomes a power struggle between the anxious parent and the child. And, the parent wants the child to eat, and they get anxious when the child doesn't eat, and they try to force the child to eat. And after a while, the child begins to pick up the game that's being played, and that is they can frustrate their parent by refusing to eat. And in the process, the, one of the terrible consequences is that they, in the process of, of struggling for control over their own body, they lose their ability to distinguish when they're hungry or not. And that starts way, way back. I mean, in the early in the very early days of a child's life. Right. And um, there's uh, the anorectic uh, person who uses not eating as a method of controlling the people around them. Exactly. So so you've got uh, 
both ends of a spectrum there. You've got people who are eating in some way to retaliate, I suppose, and then there are others who don't eat to gain control. Exactly. What other things do you think that um, parents can do that create eating problems in, in their children? Well, for sure, diet has something to do with it. You would know the data better than I, but I'm sure that uh, there's a tendency, well, you tell me if this is correct or not. When people are having tough times financially and they buy the uh, the food that they can afford, usually it's fast food or junk food, uh, although it's not exclusive, exclusively related to that, but uh, people live who live on fast food have a tendency to... Uh, Gain weight, right? I mean, isn't that... Yeah, uh, well, uh, you know, fast food is uh, engineered to be very rewarding. In other words, it tastes good, uh, often has lots and lots of calories, uh, which, you know, hits the reward centers. And cheaper products are typically ones that have more fats and carbohydrates and less protein. So... You know, I think the fast food industry has uh, definitely sp spent billions of dollars and have discovered the the key to success for them is to give the types of food that make people heavy. And yes, you know, I think uh, you've got two working parents. Uh, the kid uh, has to get fed and it's getting late and they don't have a, a lot of resources. You know, it's going to be a fast food uh, meal. And I suppose, you know, you get habituated on that. That's that's the kind of food you like. But again, you know, in my practice, you know, I see a lot of fairly well-to-do people who can certainly afford healthy foods who uh, continue to make the wrong choices. And Well, yeah, I, I don't mean to suggest that uh, obesity is related necessarily to class and income. Of course, that is, I think it's a very, can be a variable, but there are other variables involved, and income has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Social class has nothing to do with it, really, in that way. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got a very complex uh, situation where environment uh, from the uh, earliest days in terms of the parental attitude and how the parent themselves, uh, maybe their eating habits, uh, the kid is going to learn uh, by example. I mean, we know that that's the strongest uh, method of teaching, right, is by example at that age. Um, but, you know, all the tactics that parents may use to get their uh, child to eat the foods that they want them to eat, uh, reward and punishment around food. Uh, then you had mentioned the uh, issue of comfort. I guess everyone can relate to certain comfort foods. And I like that uh, analogy you mentioned about uh, smokers extinguishing feelings and how that is probably uh, reproduced with, with eating as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the... Um, Sad story about this is that success rates uh, 
in treating, you know, at least from a medical point of view, treating obesity and overweight is very, very uh, poor. Uh, people can lose weight on diets, and they do so, but then they regain it. And I think most people who have ever been on a diet could probably relate to that uh, yo-yo effect. So, you know, with enough uh, willpower, people can overcome these instincts and feelings. But in the long run, I think it takes takes something uh, that is is very hard to come by to, uh, you know, get a sustained weight loss. Would you sort of agree with that? Well, yeah. I don't know the literature on that, but do you know what the what the literature what the research has been on how effective people who go on diets actually keep the weight off? What percentage of people actually? Well, that's a a very good question. Um, when we're done with our discussion here, I'll have to get back to you on that. I'll have to check some sources, you know. But it's I I do know uh, it's very limited. And, you know, in terms of the long-term outlook, I think perhaps it's very crucial that parents uh, become aware of the pitfalls so that their children don't wind up with a lifelong problem. One of the, uh, I, oh, I agree, but one of the problems that, uh, of childhood are the most significant problem is that children are basically helpless. They have to play whatever game is going down within their family. And uh, my personal experience as a therapist, any child under 16 who is brought for therapy, well, most children, I should say, who are brought for therapy, tends to be in terms of a family dynamic. After that, it uh, it could be that children are uh, capable of making their own decisions. And certainly, one basic decision has to do with family diet. And so children learn to eat or not eat based on what their parents eat or don't eat. And that becomes part of the, their emotional, psychological makeup. So I think you're right. It starts with the parents, but it's not necessarily, parents don't necessarily do it deliberately. They they may be helpless too and not know what to eat or what, what's balanced. And yes, their education, own weight. right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's part of it. I mean, I, I think I've told you the story about uh, parent uh was watching their child eat uh, fried food that was made by, uh, they had someone in the family who was preparing their food. The parents stepped in and said, uh, I think we'd be better if you bake the food rather than cooked in so much oil. And the person said, okay. And then they started baking the food in oil. We just didn't get it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many parameters. It's hard to make a general, uh, a generalization of what does it, but, People have certain cravings, too, that I think uh, may be physiological. You hear stories about women who are pregnant who crave certain foods, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's a very so, specialized thing, though, you know, that what's called the pica. You know, women who are pregnant, they crave ice. They could even want to eat laundry detergent, clay, all kinds of things. And I do think that that's physiologic, but for the most part, you know, Craving chocolate ice cream is uh, probably not controlled by the same, you know, neurological system. I think chocolate has its own focus in the brain. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a, a joke, but anyway, um, we're going to be uh, 
continuing our discussion, um, it seems that the more we talk about obesity, eating, the more complicated it seems. And, to get it. You know, and I'm uh, you know, dealing with it on an everyday basis with my patients, and you are too. Um, it's like such a individualized kind of issue as well. So I know it's hard to generalize. Um, mm -hmm. But if we can weed out some common threads that might be helpful to the general public and you know people listening, I think that would be a very valuable thing. So um, I'd like to invite you to come back and we'll see what we can uh, do in terms of uh, clarifying some of the issues that we're raising today. And um, Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Uh -huh. So um, have a great night. What are you having for dinner? Linguini Alfredo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a, a black bean uh, boca burger. So, all right, Rob. So, good speaking to you again. Have a good night. Okay, Gary. All right. Good night. Take care. Okay. Thanks again for listening to our podcast, Metabolism 123. We hope you found the information provided useful. Remember to visit our website, metabolism.com, for downloads of this show, to leave feedback, and to browse other valuable information about metabolic health. None of the comments made by Dr. Gary Pepper or his guests on the show are meant as medical advice or treatment and are for educational purposes only. Please consult your own physician for any concerns you have about treatment or diagnosis of medical disorders. Thanks again for listening and have a rewarding day.